You are listening to the MJ Sportscast. Recapping the latest games, getting you up to date on the latest sports news, and providing our exciting Bay Area picks. This is the MJ Sportscast with your hosts, Mike Tang and Jerry Yang. Hello and welcome to the MJ Sportscast, episode 14. This is Mike Tang, Jerry Yang here. Jerry, how are you doing and what are some of your uh, top thoughts for this week? Hey, what's going everyone? Um, yeah, top thoughts this week. Um, you know, I'm kind of sad that the football season's officially over, but getting pretty excited that the playoffs are coming up. So um, looking for all, the, all six wildcard games and... Yeah, I think those are kind of top of minds there. Um, we'll dig deeper into it. Um, there's a few things that happened over the weekend um, I think they're worth talking about. Um, most notably are um, the Seattle, at the end of Seattle's game, it was kind of weird. <laughs> um, Seattle threw a um, pass to David Moore at the last seconds of the game instead of you know, instead of kneeling the ball to end the game. And it was all very confusing. But then articles I read afterwards, turns out they were trying to get him his reception bonus of 1,000K or 100K, rather. Um, my thoughts on that is why do it then? Why do it there? <laughs> they could have done it at halftime, right before halftime, or maybe when it was actually meaningful, right? So it just show me, I guess, a theme of what I've been thinking about in sports right now is kind of sportsmanship, right? And I think Seattle kind of sacrificed sportsmanship to help David Moore, great, help his own buddy, but, you know, they're not exactly doing it in the most, I, I think, the classiest way, in my opinion. And then the second part about sportsmanship is I was look, watching the Eagles game against um, Washington on yeah. – uh, Sunday Night Football, and Doug Peterson put in the third-string quarterback in the fourth quarter when they still had a chance to win. And a lot of people were saying that, oh, maybe he didn't take the game, maybe he was just trying to give third-string quarterback a chance, but if you're still in it, you are gonna you should try to win every single game. And I think the biggest people that suffer when things like that happen are the actual Eagles players. The Eagles players are playing for their jobs. You're trying to get incentives as well, right? <laughs> and you put in a third-string quarterback in, then what message are you sending to the rest of the team as well as you're doing those play- players a big disservice? And I heard afterwards that a lot of players were shocked and outraged by his decision. And, you know, on the sidelines, Jalen Hurts looked really sad. And you can't blame him. I think that's something to be expected at that point. And... Um, yeah, it was just, to me, it was unacceptable. So anyways, yeah, I think those are the top two things on my mind. It just kind of stuck out for me on non-game related topics, right? Um, those two things really stood out to me. So how about you, Mike? What's on top of your mind? Yeah, Jerry, um, I'm really glad that you brought up the Doug Peterson, uh, situation with the Eagles, just because that, uh, you know, we've kind of been mentioning, um, in previous episodes about, um, coaches, specifically head coaches, um, why they fail, mm-hmm. right? And they fail because there's either a lack of communication with the rest of their team and their personnel, or they lack to communicate 
what are their system goals. Mm. And for this case here, it looks like Doug Peterson failed to communicate his plan um, for the game um, here. And it really shocked a lot of the top players um, from the Philadelphia um, side here. So, you know, in terms of, you know, if you're going to play your third string quarterback, you're going to play your third string quarterback, right? But you should at least, you should at least be able to, you know, tell the starter, you know, what the case will be prior to the game here. So these are the types of situations I think, you know, gets coaches fired, you know, and you either, you know, Doug Peterson, he's either going to learn from it here or he's just going to be set on his own ways, get fired, and then maybe not get another head coaching job because of it. So those are my thoughts about Doug Peterson. You, my other thoughts. Do you think he go lost? Ahead, go ahead. Do you think he lost the locker room? I point? think he did. Mm-hmm. I think he did lose a good amount of the locker room, and it, and it also doesn't help that your team is losing. Right. Here. I think um, that's the key. Yep. Yeah. They're they're losing. Yeah. They're not in the playoffs, but you should try every minute, right? I think that's where I appreciate the Niners as well, that they played down to the last second, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they tried really hard. That's a, I think that's the opposite of that culture that we just talked about. So anyways, yeah, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. Oh yeah, no worries. <clears throat> um, yeah. So my other initial thoughts, um, you know, from the past week, um, just, you know, the NBA is fully back in full force. It seems like um, the Golden State Warriors has, you know, after a rough, couple of games against um, the Brooklyn Nets and also the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, they won the last, I think, three out of the last four games um, here, and they're four and three after a rough start. So um, I'm kind of glad to uh, to kind of see the Warriors doing well um, here. And and some other thoughts, you know, the, the Baseball Hall of Fame um, ballot has been uh, submitted by a lot of the writers in the organization here. And there's been just a lot of chatter about some of these controversial uh, type players. You know, you were looking at Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Gary Sheffield, uh, Kurt Schilling, Omar Vizquel. You know, a lot of people, they they have like a little bit of a uh, discrepancy, right, between getting guys in, doing it the right way, and and just letting guys in into the steroid era, right? So we have to ask ourselves, you know, are guys like Kurt Schilling and Omar Vizquel, are they supposed to be in the Hall of Fame here? And you can kind of go back and forth between each of these players, right? Kurt Schilling, he's had a pretty successful career with uh, three, three major league baseball teams. Here, he's pitched in the postseason, but his post baseball career has been very controversial, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have to kind of understand what, what the criteria is for writers to vote these players in. So Schilling, for example, he, he had 70% of the votes last year. All he needs is basically 20 more from those previous 70% of the votes. But from what I've been reading, other writers have pulled out of voting for Schilling for sev- several reasons. Using social platform to basically push a lot of hatred and anger into the public here. He hasn't really 
done any good in terms of his associations with ESPN. And we're also, we can also look at Omar Vizquel, where his career, he had a, a freaking long career, 2,700 games played, 24 seasons, 11 gold gloves, just a defensive wizard and longevity all around. But recently, he's, he's had some domestic abuse allegations here. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious how voters are going to proceed with some of these very um, controversial type candidates. So our Hall of, you know, it's a Hall of Fame ballot. Is it worthy of writers receiving constant criticism for the votes? Because what we've seen, we've seen guys like Ken Rosenthal from The Athletic. We've seen Tim Kawakami from The Athletic recently ask that question. They're like, well, why do, why do I even put my ballot out there in public anymore? Why am I even part of this process? If I'm just going to get criticized over and over again for the players that I believe should be in. So those are my thoughts um, about the topic here. Yeah. You know, the hall of fame, the hall of fame, the, the whole process is just, it's, it contradicts a whole lot of things. Um, if you're going to not involve guys from the steroid era into the hall of fame, just because quote unquote, they were cheating, then you should not, in, you should not include a lot of the older players that made it to the hall of fame as well, who were cheating in other ways. They were maybe spitting on the ball, you know, maybe they were using pine tar on their bat, you know? So those are my thoughts, Jerry. Yeah, I agree with you. And I know Bonds and um, Clemens gets a lot of crap because they were caught with steroids. But how many people in the Hall of Fame are were on steroids but never got caught? Yeah, <laughs> and I don't think that's that answer will ever be answered. And um, the Baseball Hall of Fame always <clears throat> kind of fascinates me in some ways on how strict they make the criteria. When end of the day, really, it's just a museum and some honors, right? It's not like there's salary. Uh, implications if you make it or if there's some type of you know prestige besides that museum right <laughs> and people hold it so like dear their hearts like it's something that's like etched in history forever and you know all that stuff but i think if bonds or clemens doesn't get into the hall of fame they'll still be remembered as some of the best players to ever play the game and i think that fact alone um, they'll live in infamy or like, or what they've done on the field live on forever. Right. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where I think it's just a formality. It's being overblown now with social media, right. With social media, I think every, every vote, every, um, hall of fame, um, writer is getting scrutinized. So I think that's why you're seeing Tim Calicone and others that are pulling away from this process. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, and there's incentive for guys to get into the Hall of Fame. Um, you get a lot of more promotional events handed your way. So that means, you know, more money after retirement um, here. There's more fame. Um, you know, you're basically in this gentleman's club <laughs> here. And, uh, you know, getting into the Hall of Fame uh, on a personal standpoint, it's just it's, it's, it's very rewarding and I don't blame guys, you know, for wanting to get in, but mm -hmm. um, from a fan standpoint, yeah, you're right. It's just a freaking museum here, you know, and uh, how often are we going to visit this museum? Maybe once in our lifetime. So 
Yeah, and I think for those promotional events, if you're good enough, you're going to get those regardless you're in the Hall of Fame or not. But I do agree with you that it is kind of a, a prestigious club that the players hold more, right? It's kind of like the Pro Bowl in some ways, where to us it was or like the All-Star game or whatever it is. To us, it's just a single game. But to the players, it means a lot more from a census perspective as well as being recognized as the best player of that year, right? I think that that kind of... That I can draw some similarities to that and the Hall of Fame, where the players are seeing more as like this is this is something that's really special to me and things like that. But yeah, I I really think they need to revise this process though, especially in baseball. I just feel like there's so many people being missed. Um, I think there's two always two sides of that where you want to make it more prestigious, so you make it harder to get in. But as a result, there's some guys who are probably deserved. They should get in, like Jeff Kent, for example, that will probably never get in, right? and and they have pretty Hall of Fame type numbers. So, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, I don't think baseball are looking to change this process as with anything of theirs. Um, they're always really slow to react and to change any of their um, their traditions, right? So, um, so yeah, but you know, something to think about maybe. Yeah. So let's talk about the uh, the NFL here. Um, the last game of the regular regular season concluded, um, and the 49ers, you know, they played a pretty close game with the Seahawks up until maybe the last five minutes of the fourth quarter um, here, ending their season with a six and ten record. With the loss, they're looking at a 12th pick um, in the draft here. What are your thoughts, Jerry? They blew a 10 point lead going in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah. Do you think their defense played well? They're off. How do you how do you feel about their offensive game? Yeah. So I think uh, overall, I think the Seahawks are known to do this, where they they're they're kind of the fourth quarter comeback team, right? <laughs> if anyone can come back, it's Russell Wilson. And I think um, overall, I thought the offense played pretty good. Um, CJ Beathard looked uh, just probably one of the best games I've seen them in. Um, seemed like it was in control. And definitely the best game I've seen Kendrick Bourne in. He didn't drop any passes. He looked really aggressive. I think guys in general um, were playing their hearts out, right, and and playing like it's their last game, maybe even for their whole career, right? <laughs> even though it probably isn't. Um, but it sure felt like they were really motivated to win this game. And when the game was out of hand and they are down by 10 at the end of the um, end of the game, um, you can tell even when they scored that garbage touchdown, um, they really wish they had won that game, right? I think um, I think it was Jeff Wilson that made the face that said, oh, man, we should have won this game type of thing. Uh, but overall, I mean, without having some of their key players, um, Trent Williams was out, Sherman was out, uh, Ayuka was out. So all these like key guys that played last week and the week before are gone, but yet they were still really competitive with the Seahawks team that was trying to win the game. And I know by halftime, it was already set that Green Bay and the Saints have locked up um, the one and two seat, but it was still, I think Seattle was in that zone where they wanted to have some momentum going into the playoffs. So they, they played it like a real game and the Niners did really well there. I think, um, yeah, I think in the end of the day, it's the turnovers in the fourth that really swung the game. And that kind of um, summarizes um, the whole season for the Niners where um, turnovers has just been the story of the season, right? <laughs> I think if they had, um, 
watch it a little bit more on turnovers throughout the whole season, we'll probably be looking at a playoff berth here. Um, so, yeah, so it's unfortunate. But overall, I, I was happy with the way the Niners played and happy with how the coach got the team motivated to finish off the season strong. Yeah, those are very good points, Jerry, here. And you talked about turnovers on the offensive side of the ball here. And I think also defensively this um, this season, a lot of the defensive players fail to um, get a lot of interceptions or force a lot of fumbles too. So I think it's really a double whammy when you're, you're committing turnovers and you're not getting turnovers. So you're putting a, really a lot of pressure on your defense um, there. And I kind of want to talk about also Pete Carroll's decision to just basically play most of his starters mm -hmm. um, in the second half here. And I think that caused one of his top uh, defensive players to get hurt, right, Jerry? Yeah, Jamal. Was it Jamal Adams that got hurt? Yeah, I think it was Jamal Adams here. And mm -hmm. I know in the telecast, they mentioned that um, Pete Carroll, even from his USC days, he refuses to um, let go, you know, let go of the pedal. So he's basically going full on like, oh, we're, we're playing we're playing this last game like it's our like it's a championship game here. And, you know, there are advantages to both sides of the spectrum where, you know, you if you play all your players, you know, you, you set that presence where, OK, we're, we're, we're here to win every single game. We're here to win every single moment on the flip side. You risk you risk your team to have a lot of injuries here so what are your thoughts jerry about either kind of resting your starters when you know you already have the playoffs locked up or do you want to kind of keep that momentum going and leave your guys in yeah i think that the way p curl left the players in reminded me of how he did that one year when he left um all the players in for the cardinals game i believe we lost like mario Manningham and um, Bowman, um, Navarro Bowman in that Navarro Bowman in that game, right? So, um, I think it's really a hard thing to say. I think momentum-wise, you already have momentum. You're going to the playoffs, right? You won the last yeah. game probably to lock it up, so you already have the momentum. And you know the pride. If you have that pride, just win that last game for no reason. You're gonna go into the playoffs limping, and how? How much momentum will you have when your players are injured in the first round of the playoffs, right? So to me, I don't think it's worth it. I thought Pete Carroll should have sat the players out when they were down by 10 and going into the fourth. I mean, what was the point of that? You know, like just because he didn't want to lose yeah. to the Niners. Um, I just didn't think it was worth it. Uh, I think as a Seattle Seahawks fan, I wouldn't want that to happen, right? I wouldn't want Pete Carroll to do that. In some ways, I, I'm happy he did it to watch an entertaining game, but I want them to be in the play, uh, into the Super Bowl. So I want that durability in there, especially with this season where there's so many injuries. Um, you don't want to introduce unnecessary risk to your team. And, and obviously it costs them because Jamal Adams is their, one of their top safeties, and they spent a lot of money in the offseason to get them. So it's... It's unfortunate. Um, hopefully, he'll be okay. But if he's not out there, then they're secondary. Sure. So that that's my thought. I just don't think it's worth it. As an ownership or a coach, I wouldn't do it, right? <laughs> um, as a fan, I wouldn't want to see it either. So I just don't. I I, I just don't understand it. I guess. 
right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, that's perfectly understandable um, here. And uh, let's kind of talk about the Raiders. Um, we all know that they had a very uh, disappointing season, um, ending the season with an eight and eight record here. But they did beat the Denver Broncos um, with a pretty pretty high scoring matchup. They won thirty two to thirty one, locking up the seventeenth pick of the draft um, here. Were you able to catch this game, Jerry? Yeah, yeah, I watched the game. I, I think the fourth quarter was actually really fun because it was, it's one of those games where it felt like a preseason game where they were just taking chances and having fun out there. There was a lot of, like, mm-hmm. you know, long passes. Um, never even tried to go for, like, a 70-yard field goal. <laughs> You'll never see that in a regular season game, uh, typically, if you're still in the hunt for a playoff berth. So that was fun to watch. And then... Um, you know, at the end, the Raiders won when they had a chance to either tie the game with an extra point. They decided to go for two just to end the game there. And I think it goes back to our last question where I think Gruden wanted to make it out of there without hurting their players. And I think I know they're not going to go into playoffs, but you wouldn't want to have a player get injured and spend their whole offseason um, rehabbing and getting better, right? So I think he was just trying to minimize injuries at that point. And unfortunately, I think Henry Ruggs did get hurt in that game. So um, overall, I think he was pretty disappointing this season um, out of all the rookie right receivers. Um, so hopefully he'll get better and then come back and be a better player next season. And uh, yeah, so I think overall it was a fun game. Um, it kind of highlights how the Raiders... Um, team should have been i think they actually played really relaxed in this game mainly because i think all the key starters are locked in for next season so they're not really fighting for their jobs there i know a few players were some of the backups were and things like that but um but yeah overall i think it was it was a fun game i think waller looked really good out there i think he's been a pretty good tight end overall in the season um mike how do you think waller compares with george kill um, I, I don't know if you've seen all the Raiders games this season, but um, just based on what you know, like, do you think he um, compares with Kittle? Well, I think he's he's slowly becoming a top three tight end in this league here. Um, you know, if you're going to compare against other great players, you're going to have to kind of show a little bit more consistency, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So i like to see Darren Waller, you know, produce another season like this next year here without getting hurt and also playing for a winning mm-hmm. team. So in my book, the top two, three tight ends will probably be Kittle and then Travis Kelsey. The great thing about Travis Kelsey is that he shows up almost every season um, here. We're looking at his statistics this year. He has uh, 11 touchdowns, which leads all tight ends. And he has um, over 1,400 yards which also leads tight ends as well um, here. Um, the thing is about this tight end position is that it's um, it's very top four heavy. So we have Kelsey, we have Kittle, we have Darren Waller. And then next on that list will probably be Mark Andrews, Andrews from yeah. Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he has about 700 yards with seven receiving touchdowns. And then there's a big drop-off um, after that. You know, you have, what, Dallas Goldert from the Eagles. Mike Geske, yeah. TJ Hawkinson from Detroit, um, Hunter Henry. These guys are very marginal uh, type guys who don't show up every week um, here. 
But I think the Raiders, they really do have a good thing with Darren Waller. I think he's their best receiver by far. Um, you know, the Raiders, we've talked about it in the past. Um, they drafted Henry Ruggs um, here, and he had another, what, three to three reception mm-hmm. day for like 30 or 40 Mediocre. yards. <laughs> um, what are you? Yeah, what what are your thoughts this season? Do you think he can? Improve? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I think overall he's a disappointment. And Nelson Aguilar actually looked really good towards the end of the season, right? Like he's starting to establish himself as the number, the right receiver one on that team. Um, I think Henry Ruggs yeah. might. Um, I think they drafted him for speed, and it just hasn't really translated in the season. Um, and with all some of these injuries that he's dealing with, he dealt with an injury going into the season, and now he's ending the season with an injury as well. Um, kind of questions his durability and how much you lose on speed because of those injuries as well. Right? So I think it's always kind of risky to, to draft a guy based on that speed because of the injury factor and how much it can affect a person's um, 40 time and things like that. Right. Um, so, so yeah, overall, I, I'm, I'm disappointed in him. I'll probably give him like a C grade, right. Where all the other right receivers, yeah. rookie right receivers, such as Justin, Justin Jefferson, Ayuk and a um, few others, I think are definitely a top notch, a, a right receivers. I, I, even Jerry Judy on the other side for the Denver team, I thought he made strides and improvements yep. on as the season progressed. His route running has been really solid, and he's been becoming and established himself as the number one. And there's a lot of options on the Denver side as well, right? They have Noah Fant, they have Tim Patrick. Um, you know, those those are a lot of wide receiving and tight end options that Drew Luck can look to. And the fact that Jerry Judy is still leading the team um, in receptions and yards shows me that he's he's becoming an established guy there. And that's definitely not the case for Henry Ruggs, right? Henry Ruggs is still falling behind Darren Waller and Nelson Aguilar at this point. So, so yeah, what do you think, though? Yeah, you make you make some good points about Denver there. And uh, I'd like to also include Melvin Gordon as uh, part of the uh, receiving <laughs> attack. I think, Mel- I think Melvin Gordon's, you know, pretty versatile player pretty. in terms of, you know, rushing and receiving. Um, I think if Denver, you know, they just shore up their defense um, there. And I'm not sure if Drew Locke is, you know, the long-term, mm-hmm. the long-term answer. But uh, they have shown signs of life on the offensive end. Um, you know, the and just kind of going into next weekend, Jerry, uh, the NFL playoffs are coming out with the yep. wild card series. Who, who, who are you uh, kind of rooting for? Here before you give up any of yeah. your picks during the later part <laughs> yeah, of the segment. Yeah, I think segment. overall I'm, I'm rooting for um, – I think I'm rooting for Buffalo to kind of win it all. I know they have a pretty um, hard path to victory there. Um, they do have to play KC eventually if they want to get far. They have to get through the Colts this week. But overall, I like the team. I think um, – you know, Josh Allen's looking like a really good player with Stephon Diggs there, and um, their their defense is really solid. Their defense coordinator is kind of like Robert Sala. He calls really good defensive plays and gets the team really motivated to play and things like that. So, so they're that's one of my favorites um, to win the Super Bowl. At least that's who I'm rooting for. And one of my underdogs um, teams I'm rooting for as well is also the Cleveland Browns. I think the Cleveland Browns. Has shown so much improvement this season compared to the past. 
Um, and they're doing it without Odell Beckham there, right? <laughs> so they're wide receiver one. Um, Jarvis Landry definitely is stepping up to becoming that number one. And I think he's also changing the losing culture of that team and becoming a leader of that locker room. Um, so um, I just felt really bad for them all season that they are all every season, I guess, <laughs> that the Cleveland Browns have never really been a contender. And they've always had top draft picks. They've gone through so many quarterbacks through the draft and finally they found the guy that's working for them. And, and most importantly, they found the head coach that's also um, also solid in getting them far. So so yeah, I think Cleveland Browns are kind of my underdog team. And I think the last honorable mention underdog team for me is also the Washington football team, mainly because of Alex Smith. What a comeback story there, right? <laughs> so definitely rooting for him to see if he can get um, at least one win under his belt. But he has to go through Tom Brady in Tampa, so that's going to be tall order there. But just seeing him in there and him helping them get into the playoffs in the last game, you know, it was truly an amazing sight, and I'm happy for him. And all these years, I think once he was, was a Niner, it was kind of a mixed bag. I think I started rooting for him when he first got drafted, and I rooted against him because he was losing a lot for us. And then now I'm going back to rooting for him because I think he's a very outstanding character guy, and it was definitely not his fault that he didn't do well with the Niners. I think just going through so many coordinators, he had to learn so many offensive systems. There was a lot stacking against him. So, so yeah, I think that's those are probably my top three picks um, overall. Um, uh, Mike, what about you? Like, which teams do you like to go far? Well, I'm actually kind of curious to see if there's going to be any major upsets here. And uh, just looking at the line, um, you know, can Washington, can they pull off the upset against Tampa Bay? Can Chicago, can the Chicago Bears pull off the upset at New Orleans? And can the Colts pull it off at Buffalo um, here? All of these te- all of these lines are over six and a half point favorites. Um, but at the same time, I could foresee maybe one of those matchups um, – going the underdog's way um, here. And uh, I'm kind of looking at the Colts at Buffalo game. And I think, uh, I don't know, I just feel that Phillip Rivers has a little bit left in him to kind of mm-hmm. make this game close. I'm not saying that I'm going to pick Buff- I'm going to pick the Colts, but they do have a lot of good weapons on the offensive side. And I'm also rooting for DeForest Buckner too on the team. You know, since he was a former. Yeah, I like that one. I think also Philip Rivers have been in the league for so long that, you know, it'd be nice to see him get one um, just to solidify himself as one of the great quarterbacks there. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about the, yeah. uh, the NBA. Let's do too. it. Yeah, I think uh, my initial thoughts um, earlier, I talked about how the Warriors are kind of surging. Uh, they're over 500. Um, here and a couple games ago, Steph Curry he he breaks his own personal record. Um, here he had uh, 54 points initially at uh, Madison Square Garden against the Knicks back in 2013. This time around against Portland, he actually scored 62 points here in a win over Portland. Um, how do you feel about, I guess, Steph Curry's legacy and? 
do you think this helps propel the Warriors into a playoff? Well, position I think that's season? way too early to say that. <laughs> but <laughs> as far as Steph Curry's legacy, I think he—I don't think he has anything else to prove. To be honest with you, I think having the championship, he already has a bunch of records, right? I know he ended his consecutive free throw streak of AD that night, um, but then he responded with a sixty-two point um, personal best um, record, right? Um, so. I think Steph Curry is going to be known as one of the best players to ever play this game um, and definitely one of the best Warriors to ever play this game. So it's, um, yeah, really happy for him. Glad glad he's on our team. Love watching him play. And I think, uh, yeah, overall, I think the Warriors are improving. I think having Draymond Green is just a total difference maker out there. Um, I, I forgot how much I missed him, mainly um, I know on the defensive end, he adds a lot, but I just forgot about his whole playmaking ability on the offensive side, his ability to distribute the ball and kind of be uh, a little bit of a field general when Curry can't. Um, I think it's been making a difference and getting guys to hustle a little bit more. I think he's also helping with that. Um, I've seen James Wiseman really, really hustle right <laughs> since, since Draymond came back. There's a lot more lob opportunities for Wiseman because he's running up and down the court a lot more. So I think he's definitely making a big impact there. And um, I'm seeing a little bit more improvement from Wiggins as well. Um, he's had a few good games now. Um, he's still not super consistent, a few games where he's kind of lackluster out there. But overall, I think he's contributing, right? I think he's in the plus plus of the plus minus categories more often than not. And I've also seen some improvements from Kelly Oubre, which I haven't seen early on as well. And I think a lot of it is the impact of Draymond Green, really, right? <laughs> I don't think it allows guys to slack off. So, so yeah, I'm excited to uh, continue to see the improvement. And I think the last bit and the last person I want to highlight is also uh, Ken Bazemore. I think he's been pretty great for us, right? <laughs> So I'm really glad he came back. He kind of sparked some energy to the team. Uh, if anything, his his cheering on the sideline is <laughs> really healthy as well. But then his play on the game and his reach is amazing, right? I think they were talking a lot on the broadcast about his you know, seven-foot wingspan and all that stuff. But I think he's just really agile and kind of a difference maker off the bench. So, um, so yeah, I'm really happy overall for this team. And I'm, you know, I think one last guy, sorry. I think it's also Eric Pascal. I really want to highlight as well. I think he's been really solid since Draymond came back. I think he's in kind of the right role that he should be in, which is coming off the bench. It kind of reminds me of how Andre Godala was when he was coming off the bench, just being able to score points and do some defensive moves and things like that. So, so yeah, Mike, what do you think about the season overall? I think those are kind of my big thoughts there, but, um, how do, do you think the team has enough to go get into the playoffs? Are you still within that 500, the sub 500, or you're over 500 now for their record? <laughs> uh, still within the 500 range, uh, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we've beat up on the Kings. We've, we beat up on the Blazers, the Pistons, the Bulls. These are all non-contending teams, to be honest with you. So as, as much as I like to get excited, about it, you know, there are still a lot of um, barriers to uh, move around with. And uh, that starts uh, tonight against the Clippers mm. at home. And then we're going to face them again on Friday. And then we're also facing the Raptors and Pacers at home until next Tuesday. And then the following games after that, we're going to be playing the Nuggets, Suns, and Lakers on the road here. 
So all those games are going to be a, a big, big challenge. And I'm sure a lot of them have a lot of film to watch. They're probably not going to let Curry beat them. So we're going to have to see if some of these um, other players can help out with the offensive load while Curry's not shooting. So we're talking about Kelly Obre. We're talking about Wiggins. Um, we're talking about a lot, a, a large part of the second unit um, here. But just from the first uh, seven games, it's been looking pretty, uh, pretty promising. I know the first two games against the Nets and the Bucks, Curry was trying to get everyone else involved um, here. He may have been a little bit rusty. He, he hasn't played in almost over a year. So he was trying to not get his own shot. But I think they soon realized after getting blown out, you know what? These guys like Wiggins and Obre, I'm not going to trust these guys to start the game. So Curry and Kerr have decided, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go against the world. I'm going to look for my own shot every time I get the ball here. So it's not just passing the ball and, hitting the corner and expecting the ball back. Curry's going on his own here. And I love it. You know, the Warriors, they're, they're trying to get Curry and both Wiseman started early in the game um, here and not create for others, which I think is, is smart with the personnel they have. Um, I think Draymond coming back has been um, very beneficial uh, for the team, not just for his defensive presence, but also for his um, for his passing, and I think he's only played what two games so far, and he's already second in the team with 17 assists, second to Curry. So that says a lot, because a lot of these other players, they're just catching the ball and they're just looking for their own shot. Well, Draymond, he's really facilitating the offense. He's looking for those transition assists. Here, he's rewarding Wiseman for running up the floor because in the beginning Wiseman would run up the floor. He would be open, but he would not get the ball. So those are things that I've seen here. And you mentioned um, Eric Pascal too, and the Marquis injury, Marquis Chris um, injury in which he uh, fractured his leg. I mean, it's very unfortunate. Don't get me wrong, but it might be a little bit of a blessing in, in uh, disguise in which it kind of solidifies that second unit and the rotation because now Eric Pascal could be a small ball center with that second unit um, here. And from what you see, he could offensively, he could take a lot of these centers one-on-one -on -one and score at will. So what does that mean? Um, you know, you talked about Kent Bazemore um, slowly getting into the rotation, but that also means Jordan Poole, is the kind of, is kind of like that guy um, mm -hmm. outside looking in. Yeah, what does that mean for Jordan Poole's uh, development? So I'm very curious to see how that all that works out. Yeah, I think players. it was a really rough start to the season, right? I mean, you have to face the Bucks and or the Nets, and then the Bucks. That's a one-two punch to try to get yourself going there. And I'm kind of curious if. On a rematch, I don't know if we played them again, right? I have to look at the schedule. But if we play them again now, assuming, you know, I guess the Clippers will be a good indicator of that as well, is how well we would we would have done against those teams. Will we still get blown now? 
I don't know if we'll win, but at least I think we can make it competitive now with the team kind of finding their groove a little bit and having, like you said, Draymond and a few other people in the rotation that are solidifying the second unit and things like that. And as far as Jordan Poole goes, yeah, I don't know, man. I still think he's the Dante Pettis of the Warriors at this point. Um, or at worst, is um, Patrick O'Brien of the Warriors, <laughs> where you know it seems like there's some promise there. But man, based on where they drafted him, I would expect him to get a lot more minutes, right? I think that's that's the part where I'm struggling with a little bit of of his role on this team is the expectation. It's almost kind of like what Wiggins' expectation was for T Wolves because he was drafted number one overall. Um, so they expected him to be a instant difference maker. Uh, I think Jordan Poole is kind of in that same boat for me. So I don't know if he's going to improve. I don't know if he's going to get the minutes. But he's been pretty disappointing so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's something to look forward to um, here with Jordan Poole. I mean, it's not like we're expecting him to be a starter and and put up like 15 to 20 points a game. We're just looking to, you know, see some gradual improvement and uh, make make your open threes. You know, that's what he's here right. for. He's here for shooting. So, yep. so yeah, let's um, kind of talk about uh, some of our yeah, picks. Yeah, sure. This uh, I added the NBA picks as well. Uh, I think we'll just pick probably one game of the Warriors. I know it's going to be a – a long stretch schedule. So uh, by the time you're listening, this the game might have already happened, but it'll be interesting to hear our analysis on how we pick it. So, so yeah, I'll start us off, off with the NBA pick. Um, so Clippers minus two at Golden State Warriors. Um, so I think it's been a really tight game. That's why it's minus two. I think the line originally opened actually at minus four. So I think a lot of people are betting on the Warriors here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to go against Gray a little bit as much as it's going to hurt me. I'm going to go for Clippers minus two here. Uh, I just think Clippers are just a really established team. And I just don't know enough of this Warriors to, to see if they can beat a really good team like you mentioned. And if they get down early, I'm not sure if they can really come back. And we kind of saw that with the first Portland game where Portland got after them um, 15 points ahead of them on the first quarter. And then it was kind of playing catch up throughout the whole game and they never really retook the lead. And I kind of expect the Clippers kind of go with the same game plan as well is to attack the Warriors early, get them into kind of a funk. Um, and then from there, they can just play status quo after that and win the game. So, so yeah, I'm going with Clippers minus two here. What about you, Mike? Yeah, so I see the game a little bit differently. I um, I actually see the Warriors pulling this one off on uh, on Wednesday, um, here and possibly uh, going one and one both Wednesday and Friday. So the Clippers pulling it off on Friday, but I just, I see like a very motivated Draymond Green, and he's also healthy too, um, in which, you know, he does he does well defensively. He starts passing the ball as he usually does. Um, here and takes on the challenge to uh, guard Kawhi Leonard. So I kind of see the Warriors building from the past couple of games here and uh, and pulling this game off. I think they're going to uh, to win within five games with, with okay. <laughs> cool. five points here. I, I forgot to ask, to ask you about this, but what do you think about this new um, game format that they have? It's kind of similar to baseball where they're playing series. Is it 
against teams back-to-back. I think they had to do it because of COVID and they're trying to minimize traveling. Um, but what's your thoughts on this format? Yeah. Um, I actually don't mind it, to be honest with you um, here, especially if it helps reduce traveling and um, it helps the wear and tear of the players too. Um, I guess like it, it kind of rewards the more prepared team per se, because the more prepared team they can exploit it, exploitively beat their opponents. Um, while the other team, they don't have enough time to adjust to them. So it's say the Clippers blow out the Warriors there by 40. I don't know if the Warriors have enough adjustments to make, to make the second game any closer. If that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I actually Jerry? really like this format. I really like the series format. I think the part where I'll disagree with you on is that I think the second game is really a test of adjustments, right? Um, if a good team's there, they can make the adjustments. And I think they, they get a little bit more motivated to come back when they lose the first game. I think in the first week, um, the announcers were saying that there was a lot of one and one um scores uh, one-on-one games i mean um because the teams are a little bit more hungry when they lose the first game they come back a little bit more motivated and we kind of saw that with the portland series right where um the warriors got blown out in the first game and then the second game they came back really strong and they looked really determined to not let that happen again and i think that was really entertaining to watch even if you're on the other side of it and you blow out a team and then the other team comes back and beats you at least you had two really entertaining games right um so so i really liked the format i just thought it was worth um talking about because it's a it's an interesting thing i kind of wish they did this or keep doing this going forward um mainly um you know reducing travel is one thing i know it's going to be important once we're past this covid era but just having the team in the series is kind of why baseball does it, right? Because they're trying to re- mimic almost like a playoff format into a smaller scale and how teams will do. And the, the best teams will come out on top when you play more than one game. So, so yeah, I really like the format. That's why I asked. Very good. Um, let's move on to our NFL wildcard game picks. So Colts, so actually to be, to start off, we're actually going to um, just name the team that we think is going to win um, here. We're not going to go by the No, by no, the you, you go by the line, Jerry? right? So we're still going to pick by the line, but I think let's just pick, go through okay. our winners um, of each game. So maybe just list out the one, um, or yeah, let's just go game by game, Mike, because I think we have some time. So let's go game by game and then we'll, we'll pick through it. So yeah, that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so so we're looking at the Colts. They're um they're six and a half point underdogs at the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, and also Do we're not like gonna take on the over under. I think we're just gonna go by sides right now. Um so for me, I you know, I liked Buffalo. Okay. I said I like Buffalo to go all the way, but my pick here actually is a Colts plus six and a half. Uh, mainly because I think it's going to be a really close game. Wow. And uh, both defenses are elite, right? Like you mentioned, there's Buckner on the cold side. And then no. we saw what Buffalo's defense can do against us as well. So they have a pretty solid, like, secondary. Um, so I think it'll be a tight game, right? I think, uh, I know we're not picking over under, but it's probably going to be a high scoring, 
but yet tight game from back and forth. So yeah, so I think I'll I'm gonna go with Colts plus six and a half here. Yeah, uh, that, wow, that's a very uh, good pick, Jerry. But um, I'm actually gonna pick Buffalo um, here. I just think that uh, Josh Allen and uh, the offensive repertoire that he has is going to kind of overcome a you know high scoring game here. And if I'm going to pick which, whichever offense is going to win a high scoring game, I'm going to pick the better offense. So I think the Bills and um, and Allen they have a much better chance to winning a shootout than Rivers and some of his uh, okay, wide cool. receivers that he has. So the next game is LA plus four at Seattle. Um, so for my pick here, I'm actually going with Seattle minus four, um, mainly because I don't think, I don't know if Jared mm-hmm. Goff is playing. And also if he does play, I know he has an injured thumb on his like throwing hand. He's not going to be a hundred percent here. So I think um, not having Jamal Adams is really going to be uh, detrimental to Seattle, but I don't think it's going to change their offensive line or defensive line and things like that. So I think Seattle will find a way to win here, especially at home. So I'm going with Seattle minus four here. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you um, there just for those reasons. Um, We don't know what the status of Jared Goff is and, even if he does play, we don't know if he's going to be um, even 90% um, to throw the ball. So uh, let's pick Seattle for this one. We can agree for once here. Uh, let's uh, go on to Tampa Bay. Um, are they the road team? Tampa Bay at That's Washington? That's right. Washington, Washington, Washington won the division. division. So now Tampa is <laughs> Tampa's a road favorite okay. here. So. Gotcha. So I'll go first here. I think, um, you know, Washington uh, with Alex Smith, you know, they they have uh, some okay weapons um, there. I think they have McLaurie as the, one of their wide receivers. Uh, their defense is pretty good, led by, led by Chase Young. Um, but I'm going to pick Tampa Bay um, here just because I think just Tampa Bay has the overall better team. Um, here as much yeah. as I want to <clears throat> for me yeah. I'm actually going with Washington plus eight here um two reasons why I'm doing that is on the Tampa Bay okay. side wins might not play so they're going to lose one pretty big weapon there and even though Tom Brady's been known to do really well in the playoffs he's actually not done that well in the playoffs he's been known to win games a lot and if you go back and look at some of their games in the playoffs, it actually won a lot by a field goal, even against some of the um, some of the bad teams, mainly because of how good the offense or the defensive line has been on the other side. And Washington has some of the best defensive line in the league, so I think uh, from a pass rushing perspective, they they're actually one of the top teams there. And I think they're going to give Tom Brady a lot of problems. I don't know if they'll win the game here, but if they're giving getting eight points, I think that um, it's going to be a pretty good bet to to take Washington here, right? And you did mention Terry McLaurin's pretty good and all that stuff. So I think it really is going to depend on how well the offense can really move the ball here. But I think the defense is really going to be what's going to win the game here for, for Washington. So, yeah, so I'm going for Washington plus eight. And then I think next game, yeah, I, I can choose the next game. All right. So, yeah, Baltimore yeah, minus uh, three and a okay. half um, at Tennessee. Um, so this is actually a really tough game to call, mainly because um, Baltimore has been really hot lately. They've uh, 
you know, looked a lot better from the beginning of the season to now. They've looked really good right now um, compared to back then, right? So, so I think Lamar Jackson's have really picked it up. And then Tennessee on the other side, I think their offense is pretty solid with A.J. Brown and with Derrick Henry and uh, Ryan Tannehill. But where they really suffer is actually on the defensive end. So I think um, the Ravens can do enough to actually exploit them at this point. So I'm going with Baltimore minus three and a half. How about you, Mike? Yeah, this is uh, probably the toughest game uh, to predict here. And uh, I think it's going to be a pretty close game. It's probably going to be in, with, in the low 20s um, in terms of how each team is going to score. And I think it's going to be Tennessee 23 to 20. Um, I think Henry's going to have a monster game on the ground. Um, probably going to go over, what, 130 yards rushing um, here. Cool, cool. So I'm going to go with Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, next is uh, Chicago. Bears at New Orleans, and New Orleans is a nine and a half point. Yeah, Chicago's a nine and a half point underdog, actually. So they're giving up nine and a half points here. Um, So my pick here is going to be the Saints minus nine and a half. I think they're just really good at home, and they're just, Mm -hmm. I think, the better team at this point. And um, having Drew Brees back really solidified that offense, and I think their defense have been really solid as well. I know Mitch Trubisky is back for the Bears, and they still have uh, Cleo Mack, but I just don't think the Bears have enough to win the game. And then when it comes to the playoff, um, I think Sean, uh, Sean Payton really knows what he's doing here, especially they're at home. Um, they're going to be on a fast field and all that stuff. So I give the edge over to, to New Orleans uh, minus nine and a half. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. Um, I think New Orleans has just way too many weapons, way too much experience, way too much motivation um, here. I think Drew Brees is going to want to win a couple more playoff games before he's set to retire, either if that's going to be this year or next year. So I'm going to go with New Orleans as well. Um, Next next and last game, uh, Cleveland Browns at the Pittsburgh Steelers here. And uh, I'll go first on this. Um, this is going to be a very entertaining matchup just because the Browns beat Pittsburgh, I believe, in the last regular season game. Um, I am going to pick the Cleveland Browns over Pittsburgh just because I think Pittsburgh is um, very one-dimensional on the offensive side here. Uh, they really lack a real good running game, which I think is needed to kind of succeed in the playoffs now. Um, I think the Browns are going to shut down Ben Roethlisberger's offensive passing attack um, here. And uh, Baker Mayfield is going to have a pretty good game in which he'll ha- probably go for over 250 yards passing and a couple touchdowns. Yeah, I agree what with you. Yeah, I'm going to go Browns plus six as well. Um, mainly because what you mentioned, I think the running games will be really significant here. I think Nick Chubb and Curry Hunt is going to definitely have the the edge over James Conner. Um, and I think weather is going to p- play a factor here because they are in Pittsburgh and it's really cold and snowy out there. So they might not be able to throw the ball as much. Um, so that kind of evens the play field a little bit. 
But then I think the better running team that can establish a run. And also Cleveland has played in the snow a few times when when they're at home as well. So they're kind of used to the weather and things like that. I think Big Ben is just not 100% healthy. And I think the last few games have looked really bad ever since they lost um, to Washington, actually. I think he got a little bit dinged up in that Washington game uh, where they lost their um, winning streak. And then from there, they just haven't looked the same. And I think that downhill trend continues, and especially in the playoffs when little things like that, I think you get really exploited there. So I'm going with the Browns plus six, and I feel pretty confident in that one. But um, but yeah, I agree with you. It's going to be a really good game. I think that's why they saved it for last, and it's going to be Sunday Night Football. Um, so yeah, so uh, I'm excited for that game. All right, that concludes our episode uh, for this week here. Um, I know Jerry and I are very excited to watch the wild card games um, here, both Saturday and Sunday. And um, we will tune in next week. This is episode 14 of the MJ Sportscast. Uh, Thank you for listening to the MJ Sportscast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the MJ Sportscast. At Mike 408 at Mind of Jerry 11. Tune in next week for another exciting episode.